Ephesians chapter 6 I'll read the chapter thereafter we shall focus on verse verse 10 Ephesians chapter 6 Children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right Honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you will will Christ, not by way of eye service as people please us, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the bracelet of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of grace, by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tachikas, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we Thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray this morning that you may use it to discern the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. We pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts indeed, that as the word is proclaimed, we may indeed hear the voice of Christ, and that we may heed, indeed take heed how we listen. We pray that uh, you may keep away uh, destruction. We know that uh, the evil one uh, is very crafty. Uh, as we see here that um, he has all the flaming darts. And, uh, and uh, we pray that, uh, that uh, this word may not be like the seeds that fell on the ground uh, by the roadside and that uh, the, uh, to represent the word that is sown but the devil comes to steal it away. We pray that uh, that will not be the case, rather that the word of God may fall on fertile soil and that it may bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Help us to be attentive this morning, to keep away from distraction, uh, to overcome fatigue, to overcome um, thoughts that may come in our minds, to forget about the affairs of the world and to be attentive and concentrate. We know that uh, the evil one is at work and we pray that uh, you may keep us away from falling into his snares. We give you praise and we honor you for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> One of the most important elements of a military strategy to defeat an enemy in warfare is what is called a reconnaissance. A reconnaissance is gathering and disseminating information concerning your enemy and their tactics. Failure to properly estimate the strength and the ability of your enemy can lead to tragic results in a warfare. As Christians, we are called to a spiritual warfare. And the spiritual warfare is not optional. It is mandatory. And such a failure to understand the tactics of your enemy, to understand who your enemy is, is inexcusable. Because as a Christian, you have been furnished with every military intelligence needed about the nature of your foe, about, about his force, his ability, and God has done that through the scriptures. Our reconnaissance begins in Genesis chapter 3, where we observe the subtle nature of the evil one. He maneuvers Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit, and thus the whole human race is plunged under the curse of sin and death. Reconnaissance reveals to us that he can transform himself as an angel of light 
He can deceive false teachers to look like ministers of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. We come to realize also of his duplicity. Jesus identifies him as the father of lies. We come to know that he is an ancient form. More crafty, more wiser than us, more stronger than the whole human race put together. And so we learn that we have a formidable enemy. And you can monitor his dealings with men like Noah, Job, Moses, David, Solomon, Peter. And how foolish will we, will we think that we are exempt from his attack? The Bible refers to him as a murderer, as a thief, as a liar, as a devourer, as an accuser. And so, and so Satan is an ancient, brutal, cunning foe. But we have victory through Christ and the gospel. And so we are in a war, brethren. And the channel of this war is against the flesh. It's against the world. It's against Satan. Even though Christ has won the battle, we are still in enemy territory. And when we joined up with Christ, we became enemies number one of the evil one. And we are engaging in a battle that is not of flesh and blood. It is a battle that happens in the heavenly places. As we've gone through this letter, I hope you've noticed that there are war drums, isn't it? As we draw near to Ephesians chapter 6. If you, <clears throat> if you turn, turn, turn back to chapter 5, uh, what you see all over there are landmines. You have sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. You have all kinds of deception. You have unfruitful works of darkness. What you realize as we go through this book is that there are two sides of a battle. And you cannot choose both sides. A story is told of a man. During a battle, he was sympathetic to both sides. And so in the heat of the battle, what he did is that he wore a mixed uniform. On top, he wore a coat representing one side of, of, of the battle. And he wore a trouser representing another side. In the midst of the battle, you can guess what happened. He was shot by both sides. If you're to engage in a battle, you have to choose one side. You have to choose which uniform you're going to wear. The lines have already been drawn. The uniform have already been worn. And through this book, especially in chapter 5, we are told that there are already landmines. 
and chapter 5 verse 15 you're told how to walk look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise why because there are temptations all around you there's temptation to fornicate to be covetous to fall into idolatry walk carefully because there's an enemy out there and you might step on one of those landmines since you've chosen a side you should expect to be attacked in the realms of marriage you can expect to be attacked in the place of parenting you can expect to be attacked in your workplace the instructions given to wives and husbands children and parents bond servants and masters this is a very significant call to battle your ordinary routine whether you're a wife or a husband whether you are in your workplace whether you are parenting makes you vulnerable to the attack so that you should not be surprised with all these indicatives and instruction in Ephesians that we are in the midst of a battle we are in a war room brethren and right now we are discussing strategies we are encouraging one another for the battle we are strategizing on a war Paul comes to verse 10 and he says finally finally means listen take notice of my final words so we are coming to the conclusion of his exhortation he says finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might the someone is titled be strong in the Lord and we have two points first point is the weakness which we possess and the strength we have in Jesus Christ that's the second point be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might you do notice that if we had no weakness then this exhortation will not be necessary for us by Paul giving this exhortation is declaring that we have insufficient strength on our own and we need to look outside ourselves if you do not acknowledge that you're weak you'll never take this command seriously we must clearly put in our minds the nature of our weakness and the first element that demonstrates our weakness is shown in our first parents Adam and Eve Our first parents demonstrated great weakness to withstand spiritual warfare. They did not apply for God's help. They trusted their own reason. They depended on their own strength. They failed to notice the tricks of the devil. Think for a moment. If people who are not affected by sinful nature could not stand the wild of the evil one 
Do you think we can do that? We have we are in a battle on three fronts. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world refers to the collected attitudes, desires of those who live apart from God. The flesh. The flesh refers to the remaining impulses, desires that are contrary to the law of God. The desires we have in ourselves. The devil the one who was created by God as an angel, but fell from that position due to sinful rebellion. These are the three enemies that we battle. And in this passage, it is the last of this enemy that we are dealing with. This is an enemy that we ought to be prepared to face. And so, our weakness is first demonstrated in the fall of Adam and Eve, the serpent was crafty. We know that our first parents were deceived. They eat of the fruit which was forbidden. And here you have perfect people created upright, placed in a perfect environment. People were promised life if they did not eat of the fruit. People who were threatened with death if they ate of the fruit. They were given freedom to eat all the fruits that are in the garden except this one tree. In spite of their advantages that they were without sin, they were deceived by the wiles of the devil. They demonstrated great weakness to withstand the spiritual warfare. They did not apply to God for strength. And help. They relied on their own reason, they trusted their own resources, and they fell before the tricks and snares of the devil. God created them, and God said everything was good. If good people, sinless people, who were uncorrupted, people who did not have a sin nature in them, if they did not have the strength to withstand the, st- the, the words of the devil, do you think that we, in a far less, advanta- in a far less advantageous position, withstand the devil? And the answer is absolutely not. Turn to Second Corinthians, chapter eleven, for a moment. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 Paul is raising this concern to the church in Corinth. He says, 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Then he says in verse 13, how does the devil go around deceiving people? Verse 13 says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Satan seduces Christians today through false teachers. 
false teachers who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They speak as if they are the mouthpiece of God. They speak as if they are speaking from God. But those false teachers, they preach another gospel. They have another Jesus. And these people, they are emissaries of the devil. The same way the serpent was used in the garden is the same way they are being used by the devil. And Paul recognizes his danger. The second nature <clears throat> that demonstrates our weakness is not only our first parents, but also what is declared by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew the true condition of our fallen human nature. He warned his disciples to watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. He tells them the spirit is weak, is willing, but the flesh is weak. That was Jesus' estimation of the strength we actually possess. If Jesus Christ declared us weak, who are we to declare ourselves strong? In John 14 verse 13 says, The prince of this world comes, that they are going to enter into a time of spiritual warfare. And that prince is no one else but Satan himself. He was telling his disciples of the impending spiritual warfare. In the garden, he tells them what? Watch and pray, for they are weak. And to those who came to arrest him, he said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so it's clear that Jesus declares of our weakness, of the weakness of the apostles. The flesh is weak and you must draw strength outside yourself. You must pray. Because when it comes to spiritual warfare with the, with the devil, you are weak. There should be need for strength from outside. Because we are so limited. Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. You can do nothing in reference to producing fruit. You can do nothing in reference to persevering in the faith. You can do nothing in reference to fighting the devil. Jesus tells Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. It's important to realize that if there was anything that stood between Peter and apostasy, it was the strength of Christ. If Peter had confronted Satan by his own strength, he would have been overcome. And so the nature of our weakness is demonstrated by our first parents, Adam and Eve. It's demonstrated by what Jesus said. And thirdly, it's described by the apostles. And if there's one book that constantly reflects on the weakness we have, it's in First Timothy. Turn to First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 6 it says after giving the qualification for elders um, one of the qualification given there in verse 6 it says 
he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This book makes constant reference to the warfare against the devil. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences, whose consciences are seared. On what grounds will people apostatize? What are we told there? What is the cause of the apostasy? It is their failure to stand against spiritual warfare with the devil. The devil will come with his own doctrines and they will fail in, and, and they will fall into it. Chapter 5, verse 9, 1 Timothy says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation of good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their faith. And then verse 14 says, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Reflect on these passages and you see that there is need to be strong in the Lord. Because we are not strong in and of ourselves when it comes to the issue of spiritual warfare. And so when we are fully convinced of our weakness, then we remove any hope of self-sufficiency and we begin to seek strength in the Lord. How many times have we sinned, fallen short of God's holiness, and we are prone to think that next time I will not commit that sin. Next time I will win. Yes, we, we ought to win, but through the power of Jesus. The Bible says, I can do all things, not for Christ, but through Christ, who strengthens me, because I have no strength of my own. And so it's essential for us to understand this. This is one of the dangers we find ourselves when engaging in spiritual warfare, that we can rely on our own strength, on our own resources, on our own experience. The evil one is more experienced than us. Failing to read our Bibles failing to attend midweek Bible study. Trusting in our own resources. Such a decision is the height of human folly. It's, it's a way of spiritual downfall and defeat. Because Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. We are not fighting a human enemy where you can employ your strength and tactics 
and ability. You're fighting someone who is invisible. You're not fighting human flesh, you're fighting forces, principalities and powers. And so we need supernatural strength. We must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We cannot rely on our own little strength. Another danger when we engage in spiritual warfare is the danger of passivity. So the first danger has to do with activity. Thinking that we can fight the devil with our own strength. The second danger has to do with passivity. Resigning not to do anything. Thinking that because I cannot fight the devil with my own strength, I cannot confront him, I decide to let go and let God. I stop struggling. I stop fighting. I let the battle be the Lord's. We must let we must let the battle against flesh, Satan, and the world be the Lord's, yes. But that is not true of scripture. We are told to actively engage in the battle. We are to employ every effort so that the devil does not have dominion over us. And we must do it in the strength and might of the Lord. Because the evil evil one is cunning. He's a master of disguise. He appears as an angel of light. And one of the great mistakes of a Christian is to ignore the enemy. Isn't it? to ignore his craft, his power. We should never be ignorant, brethren, of the schemes of the evil one. We must learn to understand how the dark schemes of the evil one work. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so we can rely on human strength and resources. We can become passive. Then secondly, the strength we have in Jesus Christ. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This gives forth the first word of encouragement to battle. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul is talking about warfare here. But notice how he encourages us. He talks to us about the victor, isn't it? He's talking about the warrior. The winner. The one who lives in you. He is your greatest weapon. He is your greatest strength. And God is the one who gives grace to those who who are humble. Isn't it? He resists the proud. He gives grace to those who are. The proud will think that they are self-sufficient. They can do it. But God gives grace to those who acknowledge their weaknesses. God is called as one of his names, the strength of Israel. This is the name that declares that he has the power to strengthen his people. And you must have this power in order to prevail. 
So Paul here is calling us to master the strength for the battle. And we ought to find that strength in the Lord. When you consider your weakness, you consider this exhortation, and you reflect upon it, you're able to see that there is infinite power supplied to you to overcome this battle. And the Christian needs to be resolute, to be courageous. If he's fearful, then he's unfit to go into the battlefield. He has to be strong. He has to be courageous. He has to trust in the Lord. We ought to, to, to look to him with utter dependence. We sing, we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee and in thy name we go. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender, we rest on thee and in thy name we go. And so we have to go into the battle and we go in the strength of the Lord, in the might of the Lord. What Paul is drawing to us as well in this second part is the believer's glorious union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you joined and united with Jesus Christ? Because it is a relationship that nothing can save. You see, this relationship, this union is compared to a vine and a branch. It's a living, organic union. The very life, the very power and strength that is in the stem of a tree flows to the branches, isn't it? If you cut the branch, the leaves will wither and it will become nothing. The same, we are to be attached to the vine. It's a living union that we have with Jesus Christ. And because of that organic living union, it results in the flow of grace from him to us. And so we are told to be strong in the Lord, in the power derived from his strength. And so it's by means of our union with Christ that we draw strength. This strength is not derived from Christ by a single event. Notice that be strong in the Lord is in the present imperative. It's a command to go on, be strong in the Lord. It's an ongoing process. that is a result of our union with Christ. And so I ask, how can you fulfill this command to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? How can you do it? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has been caught up in the third heaven. He has seen glorious things, great visions and revelations of the Lord. And it says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that in the power of Christ, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What was happening here was nothing less than spiritual warfare. Obviously, the thorn in the flesh, many theologians have speculated. But the important point there is to see that Satan was buffeting Paul. And what did Paul do? What was his response to this spiritual warfare? What does he tell us? It tells us in verse, seven, in verse 8 that he prayed how many times? Three times. He prayed three times. Prayer is an acknowledgement of his failure to deal with this, with this matter on his own strength. Prayer is abandonment of self-sufficiency. And so if we are to draw strength from the Lord, we must constantly remain in fellowship with him, in close communion with him. This is what Paul writes to the Philippian church. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We are strengthened by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. And so we need to be strong in the Lord daily. We need to receive fresh supply of his strength every day. We need to constantly receive a fresh supply of strength. Ephesians 1.8 says, Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You are endowed with resurrection power that conquered death. You have victory over the evil one. You are assured of this victory daily. You are assured of victory over the world, over Satan who controls the world. You are assured of victory over indwelling sin. First John 4 verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He doesn't say you are overcoming or you will overcome. He says you have overcome them. And you have overcome them by the power of Jesus Christ. We sang this morning, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving will be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lots about his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. The man of God's own choosing. Lots about is his name. He must win the battle. And so you have overcome the battle because greater is he who is in the world, who is in you, than he who is in the world. And the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And so, what does this mean? It means that wives, when you're tempted to disrespect and disobey your husband, there is power available which you can draw to enable you to submit. Husbands, 
when you are tempted to speak harshly to your wife, there is power that is available to draw upon and be enabled to love your wife. Children, when you are tempted to disobey your parents, there is power available to be obedient. There is power available to resist temptation, lust, bitterness, anger. All these kinds of sins that are here. There is power in the Lord Jesus Christ. We too have been raised with Jesus Christ. We have been given power to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Because the evil one will want nothing but to have you walk in sin. So resist the devil. And we're told what? The promise is when you resist him, what will happen? He will flee from you, isn't it? We're not told to argue with him. You're not told to bind him. You're not told to cast him. The Bible tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the devil will come against the church of Jesus Christ. He will come against family. He'll come against marriage. He will seek to minimize the work of Jesus Christ in the church. He'll seek to bring division in the church. He'll seek to send detractors, people who may come here who hate the doctrines of grace, and they decide to peddle lies. He'll seek to steal the truth of the word of God. He'll seek to steal the joy of your salvation. Like the parable of the sower, he'll seek to steal the word of God. So that as you're here, Jesus says what? Take heed how you listen, isn't it? Because there's, there's danger. There's, there's danger of losing what you hear, isn't it? Because the devil comes to steal. The evil one hates unity. He hates the display of God's manifold wisdom in this church. He hates our fellowship. He seeks to divide and conquer. He'll come with accusing voices. And behind it are principalities and power. When people raise accusations, you realize that it is the work of the devil because he's the accuser of the brethren. And so, whatever realm of God's work in this world, be assured that the devil will seek to tear it down. Yet we have this great hope, Romans chapter 8, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can Satan lay a charge against us? No. Can Satan condemn you? No. So you need to know his schemes so that he will not trip you up. You need to stand firm against the fiery darts of the evil one. You need to acknowledge your insufficiency, that you have no strength of your own, that the battle is too strong. You need to rely on the Lord. Look to Jesus Christ. See how he was tempted. 
yet he did not sin. Tempted in all ways. See how he was tired like us, hungry like us, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was tempted in various ways. And despite of all that, he stood firm. Forty days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. Tempted by the last of the eyes, the pride of life. The last of the flesh. Yet he resisted all this to say, temptation to sin. See him carry the cross. He was mocked, betrayed. Yet he stood firm. He did not give up the rest. See him defeating death. See him conquering everything set before him. See him ascending to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Christ Jesus is the faithful high priest, making intercession for us. See, the power that raised him from the dead, that power is available for you so that you can overcome the battle in the home. You can overcome the battle in the, in the family, in the marriage, in your workplace. So those battles may look like it's against flesh and blood, isn't it? But we're told in scripture that it is against principalities and powers, against demonic forces. So you're called to vigilance, brethren. You're called to be diligent, to be ready for war. This is an enemy that we cannot neglect. If we become slothful, will fall into sin because he's more crafty. He lies in ambush. Just like a lion when it's ready when it is ready to, to, to jump on its prey. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. We have no reason to shrink back from this battle, brethren. Satan hates God's people. He's trying to destroy God's people. He will seek to be an hindrance to us from loving one another, from serving one another. He'll seek to bring doubts, fears. He'll seek to hinder the gospel work. Paul says, <clears throat> For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. This is the work in relation to Ephesus. That there was a wide opportunity for the gospel to go forth. What else does he say? He says, there are many adversaries. That whenever there is a ministry door opened, there will be many adversaries. Pastors will be tempted to leave their work. Missionaries will be tempted to leave the mission field. Because there are many adversaries. Things get difficult. So that whenever the Lord's work is done genuinely, Satan will seek to oppose it. He will bait us. He will transform himself into an angel of light. He's crafty. Satan will <clears throat> bait you to think of the seemingly harmless pleasure. He will seek to disguise the ugliness of sin. He'll seek to disguise the ugliness of sin so that you're involved with sin that you, you don't really see how terrible it is. 
sin becomes appealing to you because he dangles the attractive part. He pulls you into his trap. He's able to see your heart, isn't it? He's able to see your inclination and he's able to set those traps where your heart is more inclined to. He's able to, to aim his fiery dart. He's able to have your sin find you out. So when he lies, he's the original, he's the father of lies. When he does lie, he plagiarizes, he gives half-truths, he ever lies, he ever deceives. Satan has even lied to himself. He's deluded to think that he's equal with the Most High. He's the father of lies. And so he utilizes a web of self-deceit in order to, to maintain a fantasy that he is equal with God. He will deceive you. He'll deceive the brethren. He can even deceive you to think that you're equal with God. He can deceive a minister of the gospel to think that he's perfect. He's immune to criticism rather than admitting that he could be wrong in his own estimation. He will look for people to encourage that person in his self-delusion. He will use propaganda and lies to propagate lies. In light of all these brethren, we have a formidable enemy. Where do you stand? Are you rooted in Jesus Christ? Because you cannot beat the devil down to the ground. Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ who came so that he might destroy the works of the devil? Can you really say this morning that I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ? Not you will be, but you're already more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Have you relied on the Lord Jesus Christ? His death, his burial, his resurrection? Have you fully put your hope in him? Does he live inside of you? Do you have eternal hope with him? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you may keep us away from the words of the evil one. Raise our spiritual antennas that we may be careful and honest. Help us to draw near to you, Lord, to submit to you, to resist the devil, and he will flee. Pray, Lord, that uh, you may establish your work here in Meru. Pray that your people um, uh, may know of your truth. They may mature in their faith. They may not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Pray that you may establish them, Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name.